In Australia today, there is some sensational ways to make money pre-construction, but too many people just don't know about them because they don't spend the time researching, which is really no excuse. Today, there is so much data available to property investors. You can find gold. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. And on today's show, we are going to code crack pre-construction real estate. Tell you what, I don't want to be accused of not doing the tough topics. And there's nothing that divides the real estate community more than talking about pre-construction real estate. I tell you what, a big part of my journey has been learning the art of being successful as a property investor from pre-construction or off-the-plan real estate. Today's episode is really the good, the bad, and the opportunities behind off-the-plan property investment. So I tell you what, if you like the idea of tackling some tough topics, you've come to the right place. We're going to learn where off-the-plan works and how it may suit your portfolio. So I tell you what, do yourself a favor, grab a cup of tea or a cold beer or a shot of Zambuco, whatever tickles your fancy. Let's get into learning real estate and cracking some codes together. This one should be a big one. And I tell you what, when it comes to property investment, adding pre-construction real estate to your portfolio can absolutely be a blessing, not a hindrance. Let me talk to you why. Now, I'll tell you what, there is a concept known as confirmation bias and a lot of people in real estate have a little bit of a bias towards certain types of properties. Bias can come in all forms of life. And confirmation bias around pre-construction is something I probably do have. However, over the last 20 years, I've been able to work out how pre-construction real estate works and how to make money out of it. My real first experience with pre-construction real estate was a really rewarding one. In fact, I think a lot of property investors who own multiple assets can probably remember a time where one property changed their life, changed the actual course of a life. And for me, pre-construction real estate or off-the-plan property actually changed my life. And if it wasn't for doing that deal, I don't think I would have accelerated to the broader amount of properties I own today. In fact, the pre-construction property I did do back in 2004 was so successful, it gave birth to other properties. It gave birth to other properties as investments for me. Back then, I put down $15,000 to buy a property. I had to wait two years for it to settle and I took $15,000 out of my savings as a 5% deposit on a $300,000 property. 
And people were telling me I was crazy. Um, you're going to lose $15,000. You're going to risk $15,000. Oh my God, $15,000 is going to change my life. I'm going to risk it. Now remember one of the past episodes I did on money. What is your relationship with money? Because if you have a fearful relationship with money, potentially off the plan is not the right strategy for you. But for me, I don't have a fear around money. I know money is designed to be invested and investments can go good and they can go bad. I have a rational uh, logic around that conversation. At the time of when I was investing in 2004, I had a small portfolio and I was really tapped out with investing again then. I needed some time to get my finances in order, to get my house in order and to save a little bit more money. So I chose off the plan. I put a $15,000 deposit down on a $300,000 property and two years later, that property was worth $480,000. My $15,000 of risk money turned into an absolute pot of gold. That $180,000 gain went on to sophisticate my portfolio with even better assets where I could find better suburbs and use bigger deposits and bigger chunks of wealth. I say this a lot to people. You really only need one good deal to asset build. And through my investment journey, I've had deals which have reshaped my life. It isn't the only occasion that has occurred, but it is certainly one of the most memorable to me because at the time, I was still building wealth. I was really in an infant stage of owning bundles of properties. And so it was so important to me to create that gain and it went on to serve me and has served me for the rest of my life. So I guess I might have a little confirmation bias around doing pre-construction real estate because generally I've been quite successful at it whether that's flipping some deals, amalgamating properties in a pre-construction dynamic or just buying some good old-fashioned, really good location real estate but using a delayed settlement that Off The Plan offers to control my wealth. Now, when you listen to my money episode, you're probably going to learn that to build wealth, you need to buy multiple properties. If you're thinking of buying maybe two properties in your entire life as a property investor, there really is no need to even contemplate doing off the plan. And this is where I think a lot of the conversation on podcasts or in media or, or the rhetoric around don't do pre-construction real estate comes from. Because really, perhaps people in that space are, are just choosing to buy one or two properties uh, do a buyer's agency deal, do a one-off deal and hunker down. However, if you're going to build 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 properties as a property investor, you're probably going to face periods where you need to adjust and you need time to be your friend to allow you to adjust. And 
What really off the plan does is create a delayed settlement, which is a form of leverage because it can either allow you time to uh, readjust your portfolio and go again. So what does readjusting your portfolio mean? Well, it means potentially selling a dud asset. It means paying down some debt on some other assets. It means saving a sizable deposit so you can buy real estate again. I think that money episode which uh, recently ran really was about the idea that if you can have a very good relationship with money, you can absolutely get ahead in life. And if you can work out how to maneuver your property portfolio, you're absolutely going to be able to give birth to new properties, more properties. So many people get stuck at two. Remember that. So many Australians get stuck at just only two properties, their own home and maybe one investment. Not many people get to six or seven or eight properties as an investor. And the people that do quite often use off the plan as one of the techniques and tactics to leapfrog wealth creation. They do that because off the plan allows people time. And time is really what off the plan is about. You know, in wealth, we often talk about other people's money, using other people's money, but we also talk about using other people's time. And really, off the plan is just a measurement of using other people's time. Other people is typically what happens when you buy off the plan is you buy off a developer who needs pre-sales and they get those pre-sales by selling you a property that does not yet exist. You put down a deposit and they show the bank that they are holding a deposit for the construction of the property. It's a very common thing in Australia. Remember, Australia and New Zealand need properties. So pre-construction is a big part of the journey. In fact, in New Zealand, you get rewarded with a better loan-to-value ratio as an investor by buying pre-construction property than you do second-hand properties. Here in Australia, both brand-new pre-construction or old properties tend to get a very similar loan-to-value ratio. So off the plan as a strategy is about time. What can you do in two years to get yourself in a position to actually be rewarded for your journey and your risk of buying off the plan? Off the plan just simply means if you don't understand it, we're going to buy an unbuilt property and come back and settle that unbuilt property just using a deposit to control the property in around 12, 24, 36 months. So generally, an off-the-plan contract might go for around sort of 18 months to two years. There are trade-offs. And as a professional investor, I'm very clear with what the trade-offs are. Again, risking $15,000 to me at in 2004 was all the money I had in the world 
But I understood $15,000 with the amount of trillions of dollars floating around the world was an absolutely low-risk part of my journey. So the risks associated can be absolutely uh, uh, theoretical and quite often most people don't encounter them. But I'm going to go through some. The project may not proceed. So what happens is some of the risk is that a developer basically doesn't get their feasibility correct and in doing so cannot get the pre-sales or the building uh, price to come in to match the property. In other words, basically what happens, the deal does not get off the ground because it's not feasible. The downside is your deposit is held in trust and it takes a little bit of time to get your money back. You might have been prepared to put money down for a year and a year goes by and nothing happens. You obviously get your money back but you've wasted a year with the best intent. Other risks include the finished product may actually not match what you thought you were going to buy. And we'll talk about the top 15 things to do to be a successful pre-construction investor. But absolutely, if you're unskilled in pre-construction, you have no idea who you're dealing business with, you want to buy in a neighbourhood because you like it and there's only one developer and no one's ever heard of them, well, you need to be very sceptical around what the property is going to look like. And in real estate, we often call that the render, the image of the property versus the reality of what people get. And there are some horror stories out there of people thinking they're going to get a beautiful facade to a property and rocking up on the day of settlement and getting something completely different. Contractually still obligated to what they put their name down for. Dealing with the wrong people is a big lesson. And so many people in property make hundreds of thousands of dollars of business decision based on someone they've never met with no reputation, with no vested interest in succeeding. And that is often showcased in the finished product of what is designed. If you're going to do pre-construction real estate, it's probably a good idea to buy off an award-winning team that have had a proven track record, that have built 50, 60, 70 properties before and won awards and involved in great architecture, really game-changing place. A lot of the time, people risk buying off the plan and just choose a no-name, really bad developer that as soon as the development is complete, they wind up the company and you've never heard of them again. Little tip, if they don't even have a website, it's probably a good idea to not get involved in working with that particular property group. So other risks, simple things like you expect growth to happen and it goes a bit sideways or even 
growth drops in value and you're um, stuck with the property which you essentially went into the contract thinking it was going to be a really good price and then it turns out at settlement you're having to chip in a little bit more money from your back pocket. I'll show you how to avoid that as best as possible and over the 20 years I've been doing it I've certainly avoided it uh, literally nine times out of ten. Project timeline it may get delayed and this does happen you think you're doing a 18 month delayed settlement pre-construction and it turns out to be 24 months. So as a professional investor, you just need to be very across that you're playing the time game. And quite often delays end up being successful for property investors. I remember one client bought off the plan in the Sydney property boom, he was expecting a two-year contract, ended up being four he rode the entire Sydney property broom, watched his property virtually triple in value. When it came to settlement, the valuer just couldn't justify the contract price being so cheap that they valued it at the new market value. And that buyer got to settle the property and create basically a huge amount of cash for themselves. So you just need to be understand that at completion, there will be a valuation done and if you follow my top 15 tips, you're more than likely going to be absolutely fine when it comes to settlement. There is this kind of rhetoric with podcasts and, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the media or whatever it may be that there's this kind of like high-rise market which, you know, everyone's buying a high-rise. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever met one person in my 4,000 property deals of people going out and buying a high-rise apartment in the CBD. I, I've never met one. I know they get sold overseas, but the risk of what I'm talking about is buying really quality properties in quality locations. So what are the benefits? There's trade-offs, right? We've seen some of the bad. So what are some of the ways the strategy can help you? Well, remember, this strategy isn't designed for someone who wants to buy one or two properties. It's designed for someone that wants to go for it and buy, you know, multiple properties. So the biggest reward of it is the deposit power. Now, think about my example. I put $15,000 in and I made $180,000. That cash-on-cash -cash return is incredible. I can't even calculate that off the top of my head. It must be like a thousand plus percent. Money went in 24 months, it came out. It went in at 15,000, it came out at $180,000 in my life-changing example. So obviously the power of deposit is big and this is where sometimes you get opportunities to go in as low as 5% and control hundreds of thousands of dollars of real estate without having to pay a mortgage. The mortgage comes later, obviously, when you settle. So again, if you've got a small amount of money and you need more time to save, you've got to ask yourself if you're a professional investor, if you're building a business of investment properties, is it better to take on the market or is it to better to ride out the market? Right now, for example, 
there is some really good energy around the real estate market. So trillions of dollars around the globe are being released in economies and that money is going to be grabbed by someone. In real estate, it'll come in the form of growth. So if you're in a position where you've still got to save more to build a deposit, you can't refinance your equity, and you're going to miss the next three to four years of great real estate, maybe, and you probably just need a, a second opinion from a strategist, but maybe it's better to put a small deposit, a really good property, save some more money, and use the market to be successful. Remember, time in the market is a great thing. You're using other people's time. Someone else is building your property. You're just simply putting a deposit down for them to do that. The cash-on-cash cash return of doing it can be incredible and it can allow you to recycle equity without having paid a mortgage. You are mortgage-free for a period. And quite often that mortgage-free period is so valuable as we jostle to become a successful property investor. Not every year can we take on more debt, but quite often we can take on more opportunity if we know we can settle. And the benefit of being a delayed settlement buyer, if you know you can get your finances and settle, is you're absolutely going to give yourself an opportunity to uh, grow. And one of the best things I love about pre-construction real estate it's often buying in areas that are a new discovery. And I'll talk about what that really means real soon when I talk you through some of the best tips of choosing pre-construction real estate. Now, when it comes to choosing off the plan, and I, off the plan and pre-construction are the same, it's just two terminologies of the same thing, we need to understand the Forex growth plan. And I've taught the Forex growth plan in, last, uh, uh, in past podcasts. In past podcasts, I explained the Forex growth plan is really about choosing a deal where you're going to add value. That's the first part of the Forex growth plan. Choose a deal which is going to add value. Now, that can be renovating. It can be subdividing, amalgamating, knock down and building. It can be getting a discount using other people's money. Buying off the plan is just the same concept of getting a deal up front, but it is using other people's time. It is leveraging time. Now, I don't think it's a good idea to buy off the plan in a really bad location. You only buy off the plan in really A-grade locations because A-grade locations offer so much, so much. And I'll explain a little bit more about how location is so important to pre-construction off-the-plan real estate. The market, obviously, needs to be in a position where the logical next section of the market is upward trajectory of capital growth. Quite often, people buy off the plan but they choose a market which has just doubled in value and, of course, it's already met its peak, 
So choosing a market which is right, you know, which has already doubled is a little bit flawed. What we're actually looking for is a marketplace which is starting to rise in value and in doing so, a marketplace where that property type or that location has still a lot of room for future capital growth. In other words, it's an undervalued area, an undervalued market. We're using time as our friend to control an asset and obviously get an outcome. And of course, one of the big elements of buying off the plan is making sure that you have a property which has behavioural economic influences behind it. Is it a property designed in a street which is mobile, which is walkable? Is the property a well-designed architectural place? Is it a lifestyle precinct? Is it a knowledge precinct? All of these things add so much to understanding how to be successful as a pre-construction buyer. Now, I'll tell you what, if you don't have that and you're buying in a crummy part of town, in a marketplace you know nothing about, in a street you've never been to, in an area which has no behavioural economic advantages, you've got to question yourself, why are you doing this? Because in Australia today, there is some sensational ways to make money pre-construction, but too many people just don't know about them because they don't spend the time researching, which is really no excuse. Today, there is so much data available to property investors. You can find gold, absolute gold. And I'll explain how to do it, but really we need to also comprehend that the purpose of buying off the plan is to design a beautiful property which is worth more on completion. That is the purpose of doing this. Now, we've all watched the block, and one of the reasons the block is so successful, on completion, the properties are worth more than when people bought them. Along the journey, people renovate, and obviously those renovations are rather expensive, which is never really portrayed on the show. You know, 50 tradesmen on site is a pretty big renovation, but the purpose is the design. The design brings the value. And one of the beautiful things about pre-construction real estate is you get to work with some of the best architects, builders, developers in the world in the world. And I know it doesn't feel like that if you don't know the deals, but once you find the deals, you get to actually work with some of the most complete people on planet Earth. And I can tell you that's not a weird company you've never heard of that has never developed before in your local suburb. That is some of the game-changing place-making people around right so my caveat to off the plan is you want a high level of design in what you're about to get involved in remember across australia i put real estate into four categories dead real estate there is so much real estate that really is going to be demolished very very soon it is dead it needs to go it is not going to 
uh, appeal to upgraders, downsizers, first home buyers who all want functionality. The big fight of real estate today is livability and functionality. There is dying real estate, real estate which is past its use-by date. It was built in the 1970s. It's now 50 years old. It has no place being about. Then there is dysfunctional real estate, both brand new and uh, secondhand. Dysfunctional real estate is everywhere. It is terrible floor plans, terrible orientations, properties which really need to absolutely be redesigned from a functional point of view. Upgraders want functionality. Downsizers want functionality. And even new property owners are out and about looking for the most functional properties they can find. Why? Functionality is actually in just another word for desirability. So quite often property investors rationalize due to confirmation bias that buying old is going to be better because you don't pay the premium of new. Well, what if I was to tell you quite often both new and secondhand properties in the right locations can be of similar price and obviously buying new has its advantages. Sometimes buying old is not a compelling story. Generally, sometimes buying old is depreciation that no longer exists in a building, a property that turns into high maintenance, the rent appeal which starts to drop on a property which actually leads to longer vacancy periods and actually less of a high-caliber tenant, limited tax benefits because of depreciation and certainly older properties become harder to offload if you need to sell. One of the golden rules of being a property investor is not to lose money and one of the best ways to not lose money is to own desirable real estate. So much property is dysfunctional and I can tell you when you go around and you walk up a 1970s apartment and you go inside and it's got a little, you know, weird balcony and it's got um, wardrobes that are not even built-ins and it's got, uh, you know, a kitchen which, you know, really needs to be rehabbed. All of a sudden you realise that there is a lot of dysfunctional real estate out in society and over the long term, it's going to perform, but not over the short term. People over the next five years are fighting over functionality, desirability. Desirable A-grade property is really the flight to quality people are looking for. People will pay more at auction. People will buy it off, uh, off uh, you if you were to resell it. And it does allow property investors to create shorter term results. I recently did a flip on a short-term result and that flip uh, was a property I held for 3.5 years. Two of that was an off-the-plan period, 1.5 as a hold. Uh, I did it in Brisbane. There's been no capital growth in Brisbane. Why did I get $173,000 profit 
from a property I bought for $634,000, sold for $813,000 in 3.5 years, where there's no capital growth in the marketplace? Well, the simple answer is I bought a desirable property. There is less desirable properties. The fact I did it pre-construction is a moot point. The point is, if you're going to buy pre-construction real estate, off-the-plan real estate, you want to buy real estate which is undersupplied. And the desirable functional part of the market is very undersupplied. When, it's, when you choose that type of real estate, you're really on the road to riches. So yeah, I recently bought 3.5 years ago a property. I wanted to flip it. I bought it with the comprehension to flip it. Uh, and I ended up actually with $178,500 profit, less my capital gains tax and some other costs. I ended up netting $121,500. And on the way of buying the property, I negotiated the vendor pay the stamp duty. So my take-home profit was $121,500. Now, think of this, right? Think of how long it takes to pay down the debt of $121,500 on a property. For me, I was able to take that money and utilize it, put it on an offset of another property. And if I wanted to, I could debt bust another property with that money. What that does, of course, is compound the yield. And then all of a sudden on a property, because you've lowered the debt, the rent starts to eat away the principal and all of a sudden you're paying off a property much faster. So I'll just have a swig of water. We'll get into the 15 elements of a good off-the-plan project. So element number one, design something that can be auctioned or resold to an owner-occupier. Now, quite often, this means that you're going to design it with the architect, builder, developer, and that is very possible. You can sit down with them and create a niche apartment in their project, or you just need to be very mindful that when you're choosing a complex to buy in, you understand what the difference is that appeals to owner-occupiers. Now, I teach this a lot. Have a property that can resell and gets a lot of growth actually speaks the secret language of property. Now, I've done a podcast on the secret language of property, so I'm not going to get into it in a lot of detail today. Go back a couple of podcasts if you've never heard it. It is a cracking episode and it will teach you about the idea of human beings. Human beings are fucked up and because human beings are fucked up, they love three design elements. Reflective design is just the idea that if a building speaks to people and makes them feel proud, if a building is full of quality, they will feel proud, they'll pay more for it. No different to a Rolex watch. Again, this is the psychology of human beings. We're all messed up. 
So the fact that people are messed up, they'll pay more to feel good. And reflective energy in design makes people feel good, so they pay more for it. Behavioral uh, design logic is just the design logic that if you have a property with behaviors in it, if it creates a new uh, function, functional behavior, people will pay more for it. For example, if a property had a tennis court, you would have the behavior of playing tennis. So people would pay more for it. And functional design, of course, is exactly what it sounds like. It is all about the idea that a property has good, uh, a good flow. Now, if you look at much, some of the much older properties in society today, they have a functionality problem. For example, a three-bedroom bungalow with one bathroom built in the 1950s and 60s is really not that desirable anymore. People want the four-bedroom, 2.5-bathroom house. With an apartment, it's kind of the same thing. People are looking for space, uh, area flow. They're looking for um, scale and size. And if you can find something that is better than market, you're absolutely going to do well. For example, in uh, much of Melbourne today, apartments are 60 square metres. If you were to find and locate a 90-square-metre apartment, an 80-square-metre apartment, you're already better than market. So quite often, buying pre-construction real estate is understanding there is some ways to beat the market. Beating the market on floor plan, beating the market on space, beating the market on size for money. These are all ways that you're going to add value to the time of building and constructing a brand new property. Now, to explain behavioral design logic, reflective design logic, and functional design logic, I really wanted to talk about a property which I brokered for someone. They bought the property in 2017, putting down a 10% deposit, $62,500. At the time, the government was creating a free stamp duty mechanism for pre-construction buyers, so they paid no stamp duty. Two years later, in 2019, late in 2019, the property completed. They settled the property for $625,000. The property... 713 of 68 Cambridge Street, Collingwood, go check it out, sold for $721,000. Remember, the client I helped buy it for 625, resold for $721,000. That is a $96,000 gain. Remember, they did not have to pay stamp duty. So obviously, they've got a little bit of capital gains tax and they've got uh, a little bit of um, they've got a little bit of reselling fees, but they'll walk away with 50,000 bucks large, right? Maybe more. And they did that flip 
in just three months of settlement. Now remember, when it comes to off the plan, your capital gains tax exemption kicks in the moment you enter contract. So this little profit is an interesting example. Why was it so successful? Well, for a start, the property spoke the secret language of real estate. And because it did, it oozed potential. Now, let me read to you what the local real estate agent uh, wrote on the advert to describe the property. See if you can pick up the secret languages of real estate. Design a luxury or lifestyle with breathtaking city views. City views, behavioral economics. The city skyline creates an endless, uninterrupted, breathtaking backdrop for this stunning apartment in this luxurious Malou of John Wardell Architects. Architects. Reflective design logic. Do you see it? Exclusive uh, new home. Rising with sculptural poise from its art deco warehouse heritage facade, the dynamic building with its 240 square meters of communal kitchen, fireside lounge and teppanyaki grill and garden area with magnificent city edge views is an elegant contemporary design. Wow, so much in that line. Behavioral economics, fireplace, teppanyaki grill, uh, communal kitchen, 240 square meters. This property is double glazed. It has oak floor, high clean line ceilings designed as a sophisticated space of the brilliance. Uh, its interior is open plan, full height doors, undercover terrace designed for spectacular city alfresco entertaining. Behavioral economics. It is functional. You just saw how functional design that was. High ceilings, uh, open plan. The versatile dining room or home office adds a desirable dimension, complementing uh, com a beautiful bedroom, mirrored built-in wardrobes, sliding doors to terrace, open plan living and dining, and designer kitchen showcasing high-end ASCO appliances. There is also a streamlined bathroom, laundry, heating, cooling, NBN, storage cage, secure car space on title, located right next door to East Melbourne within walking distance of cafes, restaurants, shops, including Gertrude Street, Art Galleries, Fitzroy Gardens, MCG, Hospital and CBD. We can see the location. It's getting the 4X growth plan. Remember the 4X growth plan. We're going to buy well. We're going to choose a good location. We're going to choose a great marketplace. Melbourne's well on its way to being Australia's biggest city. At the time this sold, February uh 2020 uh it literally hit profit margin you can see the behavioral design of this property is you can walk you can walk to restaurants cafes you can walk to the city you can walk to fitzroy gardens which is arguably the best garden in melbourne you can walk to the hospitals so you start to understand that ultimately this type of property is working. And the reality is it didn't exist before. It may not even have been in the choice of secondhand properties in the marketplace whatsoever. 
So I think it's a big conversation. If we can bring to life really well-designed, beautiful real estate, we're going to make money out of it. It really is as simple as that. So the second big point of buying pre-construction real estate is to know the difference between old markets and new debt markets. Old debt markets and new debt markets. Now, here's the thing. Quite often we have these conversations around supply. And the supply conversation is always this kind of misunderstood conversation that a lot of people carry baggage over. Remember, in Australia, New Zealand, we need a new property every few minutes. And there are suburbs in Australia which are basically full of old mortgages. People have paid off their properties. If people have a mortgage, they're 15 or 20 years into those areas. These are old debt marketplaces. People have also, uh, they have made profits in these marketplaces before if they are a property investor. Because they've made profit in these marketplaces before, quite often they've got capital gains, so they don't sell. So to get growth, if you can buy pre-construction in an old established debt market, you're well on your way to success. What do I mean by that? When you add new supply to a marketplace, you're adding new debt levels. The fact that an older suburb has lower debt levels and 100 new properties come to that suburb, that is a drop in the ocean of debt, meaning those suburbs are still highly desirable. And because they're highly desirable, people will pay more for them. New debt or emerging marketplaces are fundamentally neighbourhoods where every single house or apartment is brand new. We need to be very careful of new debt marketplaces. New debt marketplaces, by way of example in Sydney, was Zetland. Now, people have made money in Zetland, but it is a new debt marketplace. If you bought early, you were done well. You bought in the middle or late in the period, you probably would have struggled. Everyone in Zetland, because the suburb never existed before, is roughly about two to five to seven years into a mortgage. Homebush was the same. Homebush was created after the 2000 Olympics, and much of that precinct was a new debt area. So as a property investor buying pre-construction real estate, we need to be very careful of new debt neighbourhoods. In some respects, they, they do create the emergence of opportunity because everything is brand new. But if we want to do property investment safely and we want to choose a deal to make money out of, let's go to an old established neighbourhood and use it for what it is, low debt, low debt mortgages, people own real estate outright, and people who've made capital gains before, a proven track record. Now again, people don't quite understand the supply cycle of real estate. Really, right now, around Australia, supply is at its lowest level. We are not seeing construction happen. We are having to give 
builders boosts to keep them going because the stock levels have plummeted so much. Here in Australia, ScoMo was giving people $25,000 to go and buy off the plan or go and build a brand new home to push the supply. Supply has fallen off a cliff. And as a pre-construction real estate buyer off the plan buyer, you need to understand what the forecast of supply looks like over the horizon. Supply, if it's falling away, usually means that if a project goes to market, it's going to be one of very few that get off the ground. And of course, you are going to end up with something that is very unique to the market being brand new property in an undersupplied property market scene. Obviously, if the supply cycle is high, you need to be wary of what you're doing when it comes to buying pre-construction. You can always overcome everything by making sure you buy for owner-occupiers. You don't buy investment real estate. You buy real estate that an owner would want to buy off you. Remember what I just read out? It's a great little example of an owner-occupier wanting to pay more because they get emotionally connect to an asset. Now, sometimes new versus old is a moot point to me because some of the best pre-construction off-the-plan real estate is in areas which are sometimes known as urban rebirth areas. In other words, areas which are just so rare that there is no secondhand property there to even consider. In other words, some streets of our cities are being recycled. Remember, the government has a plan to recycle 60% of our inner and middle ring neighbourhoods. 40% of new housing will go to areas that kind of have never existed before as property marketplaces, cow paddocks that become house and land communities. However, as a property investor, sometimes we get the opportunity to buy in an area which is going through rebirth, a heritage street which has never allowed development in it before all of a sudden a beautiful brand new development gets approved. Guess what? The house price in that heritage street is already over a million dollars. It's too expensive to buy. Guess what? All of a sudden we can pick up a brand new two-bedroom beautiful apartment in a heritage street for $600,000. New versus old sometimes is a very moot point because some areas which have never had the opportunity to have residential in them before but are fundamentally part of the residential realm of our greatest neighbourhoods sometimes pop up to buy. And as a complete title, they would be way too expensive. We are talking some of the best land in our cities, uh, city-facing, water-facing, harbourfront, heritage streets. All of these things are just amazing. And again, really is a bit of a moot point when it comes to choosing old versus new 
when there is no old to choose from in the Heritage Street regardless. Again, real estate is a location sport. Location, location, location. So the next kind of thing you need to understand is the square metre rate. If you're buying a brand new property, you are paying every metre a price. And quite often that could be 10,000 a metre or 8,000 a metre or 11,000 a metre, depending on where you're buying. Now, a good way to ascertain square metre and to make sure you're paying what uh, is a fair price, quite often today, if you look hard enough, you can buy a brand new property at the same square metre price as a second-hand property. For example, I was recently looking in Brunswick. I was looking at a brand new property, 9,300 a metre, second-hand property, inferior, dysfunctional, because of the lack of stock, sold at 9,300 a metre. Obviously, buying new has a lot more advantages than creepy, dysfunctional second-hand. Now, not every area is the brand new and second-hand property market the same price. But when it is, it gets a massive tick on the checklist. Now, the sixth thing we need to look for, as alluded to earlier in the conversation, is the brand, the developer, the team, the architect. The fact today that an investor can, for example, buy off a Starkitect like John Wardell in the example I read out is absolutely amazing. John Wardell designed Gucci at Pitt Street Mall. He is one of the best architects in Australia. The fact that you can buy off Bates Smart architecture or Koichi Takata architecture if you associate with the right developer and builder. This is where you make the money. Quite often the money is made because the developer and builder and architect are just at star level and because they're at star level, you don't have to be the expert on the block you simply have to follow the guidelines of what they're doing and be part of the music. Now, whenever you buy off the plan, always get a lawyer to review the project and the contract. It is really wise to get an opinion on the project and where it's going to go. Now, a caveat, if you're using your own broker, brokers tend to dislike off the plan because they don't get paid until settlement. So they will, uh, you will involve them in your decision-making. They will do your servicing. They will get you uh, primed and, and maybe do an equity release so you can go and do something pre-construction. And then they've got to wait two years. So quite often, uh, some of the language around what they will say is a little bit of confirmation bias. But lawyers don't have confirmation bias, so get a lawyer to review the contract. Review the, When you speak to the lawyer, get them to review the brand and the architect. And if there is a builder, the builder in place, not just the contract. Say, I would like you to give me your opinion of the brand. Do you know of them? Do you know of the builder? Have you heard of the architect? because that puts in context what you're actually doing. Now, when you are buying off the plan, you've always got to put yourself in a position to settle or you do risk 
that you're going to lose your deposit. And it is not a good idea to flip a property during the construction process. It is always better to go into an off the plan with the intent of settling. In Victoria, you can nominate contracts. So you can go into a contract and pass it on to someone else without incurring stamp duty. It is known as nominating. But know you can settle, so you don't ever have to nominate. I find the best results from off the plan actually come around a year and a half after settlement when the asset matures. When you're buying off the plan, it's really important to read the inclusion specs. You obviously want to end up with things like double glazing, hardwood timber floors, high ceilings. This is where the behavioral and uh, reflective design comes into its own. It's really important that if you're going to do pre-construction, you mirror what the owner-occupier market wants. Understanding the floor plate is a big one. Uh, that is something where I think a lot of property investors kind of don't understand um, orientation, elevation, views, um, air circulation, airflow, uh, all has a, a dynamic to how properties perform when they're complete. And you can hire companies that do floor plate and floor plan examinations. Amenities are a great way to make money out of real estate. Now, you don't want over the top because at some point you've got to pay for it, but I do love behavioral economic design if it's run by the best people. Behavioral economic design is things like uh, wine rooms and, and pools and, and gyms, and you really do get more rent. Would you pay more rent if you had an awesome pool in your complex? Guarantee you would. And there's this quite often this fear that uh, if you buy the right amenity, you're going to get stung. But if you buy the right amenity off the right development group, you're not going to get stung. And again, it just adds so much to resale. Think about the ad I read out. Uh, it had 240 square metres of spare space to do private kitchen, teppanyaki grill and fireplace. They are not huge amenities, but they just add so much appeal. Today, people want to buy, obviously, not just living in a box, but also what the other places offer. Remember, First place is the apartment, the house, the townhouse. Second place is the balcony, the backyard, or the amenity. And third place is what's walkable nearby, being the park, the coffee shop, the cafe. So remember, amenity is your second place. And again, don't go over the top with the wrong group. Go over the top with the best in the business, and you'll end up doing a really, really, really amazing job at making yourself money. The third place is important and I'm a big believer in buying assets on or near the third place. Again, when we I read that ad out before, you could see walkable to Fitzroy Gardens. That is the value that that property bought through location. Again, 
there may not be that many properties walkable to Fitzroy Gardens in the second-hand marketplace. The fact that that particular deal brought it meant it created its own value proposition. Today, I think it's so important to buy in livable locations where people can both live, work and play, where there's a sense of knowledge, wellness and mobility. And livability locations are ideal for pre-construction real estate because more people want to live there than just about anywhere else these days, particularly with coronavirus bringing havoc to the world. All of a sudden, how people live local It's really important. And if your pre-construction real estate offers a great sense of local, it's going to do so well. And finally, I think it's so important if you're going to be involved in uh, pre-construction off-the-plan real estate, you consider some behavioral economic logic like the ability to walk somewhere or the ability to use the train or transport nearby. It adds so much today to the functionality of real estate and the livability of real estate. Location, walk score, all these things are so important today when choosing a pre-construction property. Remember, it's not a good idea to buy an off-the-plan on a made road in the middle of nowhere. That does not make economic sense and that is not what I'm advocating. It is not a great idea to buy pre-construction real estate in a brand new community that has never had debt before. Not what I'm advocating, not what I'm saying. You want to make money out of pre-construction real estate and delay yourself a settlement by yourself two years? You can do that by designing some brilliant real estate. Hey, I hope you've enjoyed the show today. You take care. Sam Saggers signing off. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.